Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include but are not limited to professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Viewer discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ therefore forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bashed, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. We're your hosts, Harrison Kerrig and Pastor Tim Mullet, and today we seek to answer the age-old question, is depression real? So Tim, why don't you start us off by answering that title question, is depression real, or is this just some boogeyman that we've all made up in our own minds? Yeah, well, this is a this is definitely one of those questions that I get on a regular basis, and normally it's uh, coming from you know maybe a church member if I've been uh, speaking to issues related to psychology, or speaking to issues related to sanctification in general on on some of these topics like this that are uh, off limits. And so, if I'm trying to give some sort of biblical response to ADD and telling people how to glorify God. Um, and 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 honor him uh, with their actions or something along those lines. With, with with many of these psychological disorders, people will come up to me and they'll basically say, "So you don't you don't think depression's real, do you?" That kind of thing. <laughs> and so that's that's com- that's the common question I get. Though basically, uh, so you're trying to say you it's think not we're real. all just making this up, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's basically yeah, pretty much yeah. <laughs> and it's one of those questions is is pretty interesting because it is the type of question that. I don't really know how to respond to because <laughs> so so they say you know you, you think it's uh, you don't think it's real do you and then my follow up question to that is well what's it you know what 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 are we talking about you know so so they're saying depression you know you don't think is depression real and the problem there is that essentially what that question reveals is there there's a different question that they're actually asking and so when someone asks that a question along those lines to someone like me what they're asking is um essentially and they're not wording it this way um, but what i'm what i'm typically trying to do is i'm trying to encourage people to take responsibility for their depression and so whenever i'm trying to get people to take responsibility for that and to turn from these feelings of despair or hopelessness or try to give them some sort of biblical answer to that. Essentially, this question comes about and the assumption behind it is essentially, so you're saying that there's no such thing as a uh, medical problem called depression, which functionally isn't the person's fault and they can't do anything about, essentially. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah. So what, so what, what they're trying to say, ask me when they're asking a question like that is they're, they're basically somewhat scandalized by the fact that I don't believe that there is um, like a quasi-medical illness uh, called depression, which is totally not their fault. So, but what I'm not trying to deny is the reality that um, essentially people uh, are they they do um, they they do have you know crippling despair or hopelessness. I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of people out in the world who uh, who have despair and who are hopeless, and and they are hopeless or they despair to such a degree that it becomes crippling, and they refuse to. Uh, take care of the basic issues of life. So there's no, there's no disagreement on the reality that there are people who are dominated by despair and there are people who are dominated by uh, hopelessness and uh, excessive guilt and shame and everything else uh, to such an extent that they are unable to function in life. I mean, those people obviously exist. I mean, one in five women right now are taking antidepressants in order to deal with life. There's obviously many people who have despair problems, who have hopeless problems but mm -hmm. then the issue is where does it come from does that make sense yeah or what's yeah. causing it what's the so, so what is the cause of the these feelings of despair or hopelessness or guilt and shame and everything else and that's that's um that you know psychology does have an answer to that uh, and then i think the bible has a different answer to mm -hmm. the source of that and that's what that's where the discussion is like what what is the source of this despair that right. uh, characterizes so many people, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now we're going to be talking about depression a lot in this episode, obviously. And so it might be helpful, Tim, just to kind of give us a solid definition for, for depression. So, so what that, are we talking so about? That, yeah. So that we're all kind of on the same page because I think this is kind of a word that really just gets thrown around in so many different ways and, and probably even in ways that, most secular people might disagree with, you know, I, I know so many people who just flippantly kind of say, Oh, I'm just depressed, you know, but then they're not, they're not even really facing depression in the way that the secular person might define depression. So it seems like there, there's just not a uniform use of the word in our society. So maybe just give us a definition so that we all know what we're talking about throughout this episode. Yeah. I, I think that's the, the, the very difficult thing to do is to, to try to define a word like this, because there's a sense in which everyone, and I say it's difficult, but there's different approaches and I'm going to try to explain why it's difficult, but it mm -hmm. is difficult to because um, this is the type of word that I think everyone you know, everyone in some sense, intuitively, at the very least, knows what depression is. So everyone, right. every, everyone knows what we're talking about. Everyone has some experience with, like, these ideas of sorrow or despair or hopelessness or guilt or shame. Everyone knows, you know, everyone can kind of, um, everyone knows what you're talking about. And then at the same time, the problem is the word itself. It, it uh, describes such a wide um, uh, range of phenomenon that you know it's hard to nail down what an individual is talking about when they say that they're depressed itself right. i mean i don't i don't go into that kind of um when i hear someone say that i basically kind of assume i have no idea what they're talking about uh in order to <laughs> make myself ask more questions to figure out what they're talking about i mean i have a good idea but i don't want to read my understanding of that word into what they're saying actually but 
but then uh, part of what you're saying is that there is this um, it relates to just like you know kind of it, it's it's become this pop uh, psychology kind of word that mm-hmm. people can use for a wide range of phenomenon right so like let's say that you're going to Taco Bell or something like that <laughs> and the nacho fries have been taken off the menu right <laughs> right uh, and you that get triggers the, my depression. You get to the drive-through. Like, all right, man, it's just some fries. Menu, menu change, right? But then you know you're just uh, you're you're so depressed because you know your time. <laughs> so I mean, you can you can it could be used in as trivial um, a trivial of a way as that, right? I mean, it could mm-hmm. be used as uh, like you know, the menu item that you have been dreaming about and fantasizing about for the past you know few days or whatever is just gone you know they took it away and they didn't even notify you but um that kind of thing so i mean it can be something like that you know it, it could be um you know in, an individual who's you know her p- parent died recently mm-hmm. and so they're having trouble moving on you know they're having trouble um knowing how to function they're they're in um you know that dazed um disoriented shell-shocked kind of state and they describe it as they're depressed you know now now that would be that wouldn't be you know a clinical definition of the word as far as that goes but then in i what i'm trying to say though is in pop in common usage you have a word like this is in common usage could describe a whole lot a lot of uh, range of different things does that mm-hmm. make sense yeah uh, but then go, go ahead Do you no, have no, some, I, I was just going to ask you now now that we have that what what is the what is your definition of depression yeah, that you're operating well, on? Well, uh, I guess you know maybe um, I I have a definition of depression, but maybe it's helpful just to talk about the clinical one first, okay, and then contrast mine with that, okay? Okay, yeah. So when you think about like what the clinical method of diagnose diagnosing depression. Uh, essentially, you, you have uh, basically a list of criteria in the DSM that is going to be used to uh, to evaluate a person's thoughts and behaviors. And so, uh, essentially, you know, in order for someone to be categorized as having depression, essentially in a clinical sense, basically what you need is you need five or more of the following symptoms to be present during the same two week period and represent a change from previous functioning. Okay. Mm-hmm. So five symptoms. You need five of the following essentially to be categorized as having depression. Okay, right. so five. Uh, so of these, you need a depressed mood or loss of interest in pleasure. Like uh, at least one of them has to be a depressed mood or loss of interest in pleasure. But then here are you know, here are here are the uh, essentially eight uh, criteria, and you need five. Okay. So okay. basically, you need depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, as indicated by your subjective report, meaning you feel sad or empty or made by other other people's observation of you, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So like in children, you know, they can have an irritable mood and you could, you know, you can look at that and observe that they may not be able to communicate that, but that could count essentially. So depressed mood uh, every day for a two week period. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Uh, marked. Uh, diminished interest in pleasure at all or almost all activities most of the day nearly every day and this can also be indicated by you know your own subjective account or someone else looking on the outside so depressed mood uh, diminished interest in pleasure either well the third is either weight loss when not dieting or weight gain okay so um, fourth 
either you sleep too much, you sleep too little, <laughs> uh, five, <laughs> uh, psychomotor agitation, meaning you look, um, you, you look slow, you know, you look, uh, and this has to be observed by other people that you, you appear to be moving slower. You appear to be, you know, weighed down that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have like fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day, uh, feelings of worthlessness or excessive or an inappropriate guilt. And then diminished ability to think or concentrate indecisiveness nearly every day, you know, either made by you or others and then reoccurring thoughts of death or suicide. So basically you need like five of, or eight of uh, f- you need five of these uh, symptoms for a two week period, you know, at least every day. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it has to be a change from how you normally function. So that's kind of a clinical diagnose, th- diagnosis. That and one of the things you'll notice about that is that nothing medical is happening at all in that kind of diagnosis. You're just asking people questions about their thoughts and behavior, right? Yeah, it, it kind of sounds like the, you know, when you're when you're talking to kids they get hurt and you ask them how bad it hurts on a scale of one to 10. <laughs> right, 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 very, right. Very subjective. Right. Now, now what that tells you though, so you're asking me what my view of depression is. Well, you, you kind of have to deal with like psychology's view. So psychology's view, I mean, this is described as a mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. So, and the way it's determined is by talking to people about, you know, uh, uh, their subjective and, impressions of their thoughts and feelings as far as that goes. And then some of them have some sort of check on it. You know, it has to be observable by other others, but I mean, like it's like, there's nothing scientific that just happened there. Right. Right. But then the end result of that is that this is considered basically a mental disorder or, and, and in the minds of most people, it's basically considered a, a uh, you know, quasi medical illness. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, when someone says they have depression, essentially what they're saying is that it's almost like as if they're saying that they suffer from or they're suffering from depression. I mean, it sounds very much like the same it's the same kind of medical language as someone would say, I'm suffering from cancer or something along those right. lines. Right. And, and so so basically you have this uh, quasi medical category that feels like it as if it's representing some kind of organic problem in a certain way. That basically has to do with guilt, uh, despair, and hopelessness. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, but but then you know what? Uh, the way I would describe it, you know, what do I what what I, I'm going to look at these same things and try to give a biblical definition of this, or give some sort of um, uh, put that language into biblical terms. All right. Okay. As far as that goes. And so I would describe depression as a debilitating de- de- mood, feeling, or attitude of hopelessness, which becomes a person's reason for not handling the most important issues of life. Does that make sense? Okay. So notice how that kind of definition puts re- personal responsibility on the person itself. So it's a debilitating mood, feeling, attitude of hopelessness which becomes the person's reason for not handling the most important issues of life. So when a person is, so I'm describing uh, clinical depression in that way as a decision to give in to this despair or hopelessness um, uh, or give in to these debilitating moods to the point where you just refuse to handle life anymore. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. So that would be that would be my understanding of what depression actually is. So like something that basically causes you uh, or I guess maybe tempts you to just say or shirk all of your regular responsibilities 
Is that what you yeah. mean? Yeah, I would just say whenever a person like is so dominated by guilt, shame, hopelessness, or despair that they choose to quit handling life, mm-hmm. I would say that, okay, you know, you might, that's what people are describing as depression. Does that make sense? That's what people are describing as depression or, or you are well, describing as depression? <laughs> depression is not a biblical term, right. so I don't have any vested interest in... Yeah, there, there's no thou shalt not be depressed. Right, right. <laughs> so it's not a biblical term, but so and so you can't just say, well, here's what the Bible says, you mm-hmm. know, depression is. What I'm trying to say is like what what that clinical definition of depression is describing is describing the kind of situation where a person is so weighed down by guilt, hopelessness, and shame that they mm-hmm. refuse to deal with life. And so like the classic depressed person in the clinical sense is the person who, you know, he, they haven't taken a shower for three weeks mm-hmm. or something like that. They're laying in bed all day long, right? They are, they, you know, they're just curled up in a fetal position, unable to move, uh, don't want to, you know, they're, they stop going to work, they stop taking care mm-hmm. of themselves, they stop. So basically, they, they basically just waved the white flag of surrender and said, I give, uncle, right? <laughs> right. And so that's the classic depressed person. But so what, I, what I'm trying to say is, you know, I'm, how I understand what's happening is that um, like depression is the excuse that the person gives mm-hmm. for not handling their life, right? So they're blaming their uh, decision to not move on with life on the uh, on this word depression, right? Right. Itself, instead of you know actually handling their life as far as okay. it goes. Okay. So so in other words, um, the secular world is kind of using this term depression. To sort of recategorize um, certain aspects that the Bible does actually talk about, but then try to, uh, I guess, maybe repurpose the words to almost be something else that essentially takes the responsibility away sure, from sure, the yes. individual. Yeah, let me give you an example of this. So, I mean, I did counsel. I, I counseled a guy. We're going to call him Richard, uh, just okay. for the sake of protecting the guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, he's a he, he was a 28 year old guy, and this is uh, this is not uncommon. I mean, I can give you plenty of stories like this, but this is just one I use on a regular basis. But I mean, there's a guy, Richard, 28 years old. He's living in his parents' house, and you know, he spends all day long playing video games. You know, he doesn't have a job, and everything else. Uh, you know, he says he doesn't have a job because of his ADD. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can't hold down a job, but he can concentrate all day long on his video games and everything else. <laughs> right. But then, you know, he, he comes to counseling and you say, well, why are you, you know, why are you coming to counseling? And and then the answer is because he's depressed. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so then if you try to encourage him to, you know, read his Bible, if you try to encourage him to go out there and get a job, you know, he can't do that because... He's depressed. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So this label, in um, in the way that people are using this label, this label becomes the excuse, the all-purpose excuse to not actually live a productive life. So they blame it on the depression, right? And so right. they're, but then like, so then, so then if I say, well, uh, the Bible commands, you know, the Bible basically says, you know, if a person doesn't work, don't let them eat. Um, 
and then you know <laughs> give them scriptures that apply to their situation. They don't want those, and, mm-hmm. and they say that they can't follow those things because they. That I don't understand. You know, I just don't understand. They have depression. What do you not get? I have depression. I can't. <laughs> I can't do all this. And so, in that way, depression does become the club that's used to banish all personal responsibility. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, yeah. Um. Now, you talked a lot about people viewing depression as an illness, uh, and you, you mentioned, you know, the doctors really sort of arbitrary uh, or I, I don't know, is it doctors or is it psychiatrists who you're going to, who are going to run those tests on you? Yeah, there's significant overlap at this point. I mean, okay. uh, someone uh, we, we've been teaching this at, at the church and someone came up to me today essentially and told me that, uh, uh, that they uh, went to the doctor to, because they were experiencing some, you know, physical pain and, and, uh, you know, when you go to the doctor, you have to fill out like a questionnaire essentially. And, um, you know, you know, of certain things that you've, your medical history, as far as that goes. And one Mm -hmm. of the things you check on that is, have you ever, you know, experienced depression or something like that? And so Mm -hmm. this individual, they went to the doctor and they checked, you know, yes, I've experienced depression before, but then uh, the doctor, essentially, they didn't run any medical test on this person. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Zero medical tests were run. But then uh, the doctor just assumed in some, I mean, they just asked him a few subjective questions about their thoughts and behavior. They, they didn't even go through the whole list, you know. Uh, but then mm-hmm. the doctor concluded without running any medical tests whatsoever that they had depression and that they were going to be put on antidepressants. And then, the, the you know, the person from our church <laughs> essentially is saying... Hey, I don't feel depressed, and I don't. I, I used to be depressed. I'm not depressed anymore. (laughs) Wow, that's not happening, you know. But then they were basically, you know, no, you are depressed. That's what's happening, and here's the antidepressants. Like I don't, I don't don't want the antidepressants. But that's essentially yes. So that's that's kind of what's happening. Like there's um, like uh, the the these uh, categories have been, you know, um collapsed as far as that goes to where mm-hmm. now doctors are pre- prescribing antidepressants for everything. I mean, that's part of why, um, you know, 20% of women are on antidepressants. And, and I mean, if you're a person who doesn't know how to interact with that kind of discussion and you have a doctor you're supposed to trust, who's just telling you, you have depression. And it, and that sounds very much like you have some sort of medical problem. It sounds like you have a medical illness. Then, mm-hmm. you know, a person can go into that. I mean, I prepared prepared church members to go into those situations and to know the kind of, to have a thought process to understand what's actually happening. But I mean, you can imagine a person going into that and being told by a doctor, you have depression. Here's the antidepressant. They're like, well, I don't feel depressed, but the doctor knows best, right? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Here's your drugs, you know, as far as that goes. And so, but there's, um, yeah, I mean, that, on, on a on a regular basis, that's kind of how these things are worked out. And these diagnoses are, are being made without mm-hmm. any medical tests being performed at all, you know? Yeah, it seems like, you know, like if you break your arm, you're going to go in and they're going to take an x-ray of your arm and they'll either be able to see some kind of deformity in the bone or they'll see that your the bone is perfectly fine and then they'll be able to tell either the arm is broken or it's not broken. And But then that doesn't really seem like what's really going on here. But then, you know, I, I have heard a lot of people say before, Hey, 
So there are actual physical explanations for depression. One of the more popular ones being, um, you know, chemical imbalances in the brain uh, being a cause of depression. So, so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, the chemical imbalance theory is, is a theory that is essentially really being abandoned by uh, the secular Academy at this point. And it's, it's one of those theories that really um, is almost impossible to prove. And so it's, it's the kind of thing that is it's basically when you think about this discussion in general, uh, one of the things that you realize is that there's basically a chicken and egg problem that's happening as it relates to this discussion. And so uh, one of the things that you, you see when you read through the Bible is that David is, um, you know, David says when he keeps silent about his sin, his body wastes away as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. And so he, uh, you know, the Bible also says that envy makes the bones rot. And so one of the things that you realize is that there is a there is a connection between the mind and the body, meaning our physical state at times does uh, affect our mental state at times does affect us physically even. Uh, so you know if you're weighed down by I mean everyone everyone knows what it's like to be weighed down by guilt and shame and condemnation. Mm-hmm. I mean you could give yourself a stomach ulcer by worry and stress and you know stress manifests itself in very physical ways like in the body itself and affects you know bodily processes and everything and everything else and so so the question about depression is one of chick it's a chicken and egg kind of discussion it's it's um you know what comes first related to like the, the chemical imbalance theory let's just assume for a sake for the sake of argument that there is some sort of chemical imbalance in the brain that is related to depression. Well, the que- one of the questions you might ask is, well, which comes first, the uh, the despair and the hopelessness, or the uh, so does the sp- despair and the hopelessness produce like a, a a chemical reaction in the brain, or is it vice versa? And there's no way to really figure that out through science. Mm-hmm. Does does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Right. Now now that's one problem with it. But then another problem with it is I mean there's there's many problems with the chemical imbalance theory, which is why people are checking it. But uh, you know another problem with that is that that no one who goes to the doctor is having the chemicals in their brain being tested to determine the appropriate amounts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, because they don't have some mechanism to drain all the chemicals out of the brain to figure out, you know, is there enough serotonin in it and everything like and all that. So so no one's doing that. Like they're they're not running any medical test. And so there's no there's no way to know what the appropriate amount of chemicals actually are. And there's no way to know how much chemicals are actually in the brain as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. It's a theory, you know. And now it's a theory because uh, and one of the reasons why this theory became popular is because one of the things you realize is that chemicals do affect us. Uh, obviously, so chemicals affect us. So um, if you uh, if for instance, I mean, if you put a bunch of alcohol on a person, you know, alcohol is going to affect a person's thoughts and behavior. Uh, so you can put chemicals in a person's body. You can put, you know, give them hallucinogens, and that's going to do something. You can put um, uh, alcohol in a person's body, which is a depressant. That's going to do something. Like there's all caffeine's a stimulant. That's going mm-hmm. to affect the way a person thinks. Like if you drink enough caffeine, you're going to feel jittery. So the fact that chemicals influence us doesn't mean so. Like if I drink a lot of caffeine. No one would assume, and then all of a sudden I feel jittery and I have ener- more energy or something like that. No one would assume that I have some sort of, um, you know, energy deficiency or something. <laughs> 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 okay. 
caffeine deficiency in my body or something mm-hmm. something along those lines right so no one no one would assume assume that i mean no one like, you know but then like the 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 theory has been that if you basically give someone a tranquilizer with an antidepressant or something like that uh, the, the the assumption is well then you know that has to correspond with some sort of deficiency in the brain but then I mean, obviously, yeah. You give someone a tranquilizer, that's going to affect them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's it's going to tone down the feelings that they experience. But that doesn't mean that they were missing, you know, certain chemicals in the brain that they need. It's just to say that that's going to affect them to some degree. And so, uh, but the thing is, with the, with the antidepressants or with uh, with um, the chemical imbalance theory, this is really largely like bad science at this point. Uh, I mean, it was bad science to begin with, but most people aren't really going there. But then that mm-hmm. hasn't really caught up to people and in a popular level. Uh, but then one of the things that's happened though, related to that kind of discussion is that people are starting to realize that these antidepressants don't work, you know, and that, that they, they don't perform in, in clinical trials statistically much better than a placebo. And mm-hmm. then they have a lot of side effects. And then there's a lot of people who are just tired of being drug addicts, man. And so, uh, you know, a lot of the like people are still, like you still have twenty percent of the women who are on antidepressants, but we're turning to other things now, like diet and nu- nutrition, because there's a lot of people who are just sick of it. You know, they're sick of being drug addicts, mm-hmm. uh, and it's really kind of a hopeless thing. I mean, you put someone on a pill, they're going to be on a pill forever and ever. You know, they're stuck on it. It's not like you're going to come off. And then if you right. do try to come off, it's it, what what happens is if you do try to come off of an antidepressant because your body is so chemically dependent upon it, then like it you feel crazy right mm-hmm. and all that does is kind of reinforce in a person's mind that you need the drug but that's not actually what's happening <laughs> what's happening yeah. is you become chemically dependent on this subject uh, on this um, uh, substance now and so now you can't even function without it but uh, they but they do mess with people in a very significant way mm-hmm. but yeah i mean to the overall question though i mean you know is is depression real i mean there there is you know certainly people who um who are hopeless, who are given over to hopelessness, who are given mm-hmm. over to despair, who are filled with guilt and shame. The question, though, is one of, you know, etiology is one of origin, like what is causing it. And right. so is there some um, biological mechanism that is causing it, or is it essentially a spiritual problem? And that's mm-hmm. where the discussion needs to go. And so, you know, I, I would say that um, by and large, most of what we're talking about when we're talking about um Depression is is uh, is our spiritual issues essentially. Okay, so yeah, basically like moral issues that require us taking responsibility in some way. Is that what you mean? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. So, if that's the case, then why does it seem like even Christians are opposed to that idea, and, and they? they subscribe more to the idea that depression is just something that we're left to deal with, you know, like it's a virus attacking the body as opposed to an actual moral issue with, uh, uh, that we need to take responsibility for. Yeah. I mean, we all like to blame shift. So, I mean, there's like, if someone comes along and gives you an excuse to just give up, right. <laughs> hmm. If you have a ready-made excuse just to roll over and not handle life anymore, there's a lot of people who will take it. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I know many people who just, I mean, life's hard, you know. Life life is difficult. It has challenges and 
you know, you go to work every day, you're under, you're underappreciated, uh, can't get that promotion, uh, you know, having trouble getting married, um, want to get married, want to move on, you're stuck in a dead-end job, you know, you look at your life, it's not what you want it to be, there's no hope, you know, maybe you're mm-hmm. stuck in a bad marriage. I mean, there's plenty of people, like, I mean, life's hard, like, it's difficult, it's, um, it has challenges, and, you know, sin has infected the world, so, I mean, obviously, um, if someone comes along and tells you that you can just give up there's a lot of people who will will take them up on it so i mean part of it's that i mean it just it does provide an all-purpose excuse just to uh not only to just give in to despair but to to gain moral sympathy from everyone around you mm-hmm. for giving into into despair and and everything and all that so if you have some sort of um if you get that label, then then everyone expects that every everyone expects uh, that that person will be shown sympathy, and um, and uh, you know basically coddled at that point. And there's a lot of people who will take it. I say we have a stunted view of sanctification in the church too, to where we haven't really taught on these things, and so we really don't know how to deal with these kinds of issues. You know, from a biblical perspective, we don't know what the Bible says on that. We uh, we, we we don't really have a whole lot of um, uh, uh, ex- experience and, and or help, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. from the church and, and actually dealing with what's going on in our heart as far as that goes. And then you're living in a world that basically doesn't know, like has a competing worldview with the Bible, which psychology is, which is basically just um, brainwashing everyone to think that this is a medical problem. I mean, all the language we use to talk about this problem is medical language. Mm-hmm. Is quite. I mean, you know, are, you, you can you watch watch infomercials on TV. Are you suffering from depression? Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, but yeah. I mean, if you say that enough, I mean, you're suffering. I mean, that's the way we, we it's demanded in our society that you speak that way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's demand uh, it's demanded that you you know you use that kind of language, and if you use it enough, people get brainwashed into thinking that they this is an illness because we're using the same kind of language we use for cancer, right? I mean, one of yeah. the most offensive things I can I do. One of the most offensive things I do, and it's really not very offensive, um, is you know when, when if I'm dealing with someone who says you know that they just they're so depressed, uh, and um, I, you know, and I think um, I may ask a question like, well, you know, why do you think you're having so much trouble um, rejoicing in the Lord right now, <laughs> or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> And, what mean, are you they, talking about? I didn't say I had a problem with rejoicing in the Lord. I said I was depressed. Yeah, right. Aren't you listening? Uh, yeah. Well, why are you choosing to give in to your despair, you know? <laughs> <laughs> in this way, you know? Uh, like, why, why do you, and then why do you, you get a two-star review on Yelp or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just... But, but, I mean, if you don't speak that language, if you just change the language in a simple way to, to, to language that's more... Um, Related to moral accountability, I mean, you just people are just incensed and enraged at you. But I mean, so I, you know, but we can't. We have to speak about these things in moral categories. We can't just, um, yeah, we can't just keep on using the victim language. But the more we use the victim language, the more it's reinforced in people's mind that this is, you know, um, an illness. And so part of it's that. I mean, part of it is um, uh, also that. Um, be, you know, because one in five women are on antidepressants, everyone knows women who are on antidepressants right now, and 
so there's other problems in our society that you're not really allowed to confront a woman about anything. <laughs> you can't. And so, I mean, so, so then, you know, but then we all know people who are that, and then we're trained to basically, you know, and all the, uh, you know, you have to, you can't shame the victim or blame the victim and they're, you know, they're put in a victim category. And so you have to coddle the victim essentially. And so there's a lot of things like that that are happening. And, 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 and a lot of people do know that like, well, there's, there's a lot of people who, you know, experience, I'm putting that in quote, experience depression, who, you know, they, they want to get better, but they can't. And so it must be that there's like the logical conclusion. It must be that there's something wrong with them. You know, that, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the way we think because, uh, because we view people as basically good. And if people are basically good and they're suffering from some sort of problem that they're unable to uh, overcome, then it must be that, you know, they, they have a, 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 a medical disorder or something along those lines. But then, I mean, one of the things the Bible tells us is, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard change his spots? So also, cannot you who are accustomed to doing evil learn to do good? I mean, like sin is uh, enslaving. And, and apart from God's grace, we don't have any help, hope or help in, you know, conquering sin. I mean, mm-hmm. just look at the sins in your own life that you struggle with and uh, the sins you struggle with before coming to Christ. It's not just some simple stop doing it kind of thing. Right. You need God, You need divine help to... Uh, overcome these uh, enslaving uh, patterns of sin in your own heart and so like it, it's there's a lot of reasons I think why yeah we look at it that way yeah now I know you're saying that essentially these are moral issues we're talking about now when you say that do you mean that anytime a person is um, experiencing uh, I guess a certain feeling or emotion that would typically be described as depression anytime they feel that does that mean that they're in sin in some way is is that what you're meaning by saying that it's moral categories or are there times where it's acceptable and times where it's not acceptable what are we talking here in terms of uh the morality of it all and and how we should view it in light of um the specific circumstance we might be in yeah, no, that's a very good question, and um, I think because all right, so you have a clinical definition of depression, which is one thing, okay, mm-hmm. and so like a, a careful um, from my experience, these labels are being handed out like candy, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my uh, church member just got one of these labels, um, and. It's by like it, by no means was any care or caution taken to give that label, and that's by no means uncommon. But I would say that there is the kind of person who's going to run them through the, you know, the checklist and five of the eight symptoms and distinct dis- distinguish it from bereavement and other kinds of things. And so there is that. I mean that that can happen too. But but what I'm trying to say is, by and large, um, what's actually happening is these labels are being thrown around like candy, and these drugs are being thrown around like candy. Mm-hmm. But this describes a, a wide range of phenomenon. So, um, so you have the clinical thing that you're dealing with, and then you have the the pop psychology kind of uh, like depression is just a word that's entered into common you know usage at this point that can mean so many different things beyond the clinical meaning, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a lot of, so one of the things that I assume when I hear a word like that is I I just assume I have no idea what they're saying. Okay. 
and that's just kind of my starting point. And an example I use in general is kind of is um, as I'm teaching this um, on this subject is uh, a situation that happened with my. Um, I think he was maybe about 15 months old or something like that at the time. My firstborn son, um, you know, he. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll try to tell you how it ha- hangs on the moral question, but let me explain a phenomenon. So first, okay. so my son, you know, he's like at, the, at my firstborn, he was like maybe 15 months old or something like that. And at some point uh, I held him up in the air and he wanted to grab the fan strings or whatever and pull on him. And so then I let him do that and he would turn the light on and turn it off on the fan and off and on and he got a kick out of that. And then, so he started, you know, pointing up at the fan and fussing at, at me and and so I I was like, well, I don't want him whining at me nonstop to turn on the fan and turn, off, turn it on and off. And so one of the things I, I, I looked at him and I thought I was being a good parent at the time and I said, say, say please, right? And so mm-hmm. then he says, please, and he starts pulling on the fan string and he's all happy. And then, you know, the next time he walks in or crawls in the room at that point or whatever, he points up at the fan string and he says, please, please, please. Right. Mm-hmm. And it dawned on me what I did, you know, <laughs> it dawned on me what happened. So <laughs> what I had thought I had done was taught my son to be polite. But mm-hmm. what I had actually done was taught him to name the name of the fan string. Okay, <laughs> but one of the things I've found in conversation in general is that we're using these words, and I, I, you know, it would be better if we just assume we're talking to a fifteen-month-old, like we don't have any idea what, what we're saying. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, like we we should we should assume. When, I mean, there's been so many times in the course of my own marriage where my wife and I are using words, and we're just using them in very different ways, and then there's chaos that's ensuing because we think we have a shared common vocabulary only to find out that we don't. But the, as it relates to something like depression, you would be better to assume you have absolutely no idea what they're saying mm-hmm. when they say a word like that. And and if you did, you, you, it would force you to actually make them define what they're talking about. And so, you know, uh, there, like because this is a word that's used in common parlance, you know, like uh, to mean so many different things. You know, the guy who goes to Taco Bell and says, man, I was so depressed. Because the nacho fries are gone. <laughs> like, is that a moral issue? Probably not, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a way of speaking, you know, basically like a very, you know, sloppy exaggerated. way. Exaggerated, kind of funny way of speaking that, you know, you look at that and you just kind of laugh and you don't, you don't think what they mean by that is they're curled up on the ball. You know, right. refusing. haven't showered in days <laughs> haven't showered in. because now, the, the fries if, are gone. Man. If they were, you know, then you would, that would be a moral problem, right? I mean, that'd be totally a moral problem. Like if, they, <laughs> if that's all it took, it's like, well, man, what's going on in your life? You know, your dad beating you or something, you know, like, what is it? You know, my worldview like, is crumbled because right? <laughs> they took the fries off the menu. Yeah. I mean, so I mean. So like at that point it it's like uh, what what are we looking at what like what what is like if it's straight up only related to the fries it's like well my goodness man you know like you gotta man up and like what's wrong with you like pour mm-hmm. some cold water on his head you know and kick him a few times you know <laughs> uh, I don't know if you could do that kind of thing anymore because people were so they may uh, turn you in for assault or something but uh, we used to be able to help people to man up when they're being a pansy you know <laughs> but uh 
But yeah, so I mean, yeah, that situation, I mean, uh, that's that's kind of a silly usage, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if someone says, I'm so depressed, my dad just died. Well, I don't know that that's like a moral problem, I, but that's not I mean, that, 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 that's not a moral problem. They're just using a, a loaded term in a way that isn't very precise. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, they're basically meaning like, hey, I'm in mourning right now. I'm, I'm sad right now. But then they still probably don't mean like, hey, for long periods of time, I've shirked all my responsibilities and stopped taking care of myself and whatnot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if they, you know, if your dad dies and you just lay in the bed for two weeks, I'm I'm not going to be the one who's throwing stones, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're laying in the bed for six months, I'm going to, we need to have a talk, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's too long, you know? Mm-hmm. So, now, I mean, it's, that's kind of blasphemy to say, too. But, so, I mean, we just, but, like, you, you have to, like, you have to deal with these things. And there's, you know, that we don't grieve as those who have hope and... Uh, have no hope uh, and everything else. So you have to deal with problems like that. And so I, I just, when you use that kind of term, I would say that, no, I, I don't know what they mean when they say it. I don't know what they're talking about. And I, mm-hmm. it's better to define it. Now, you know, the the kind of person who's just, you know, like let's just pick on the homemaker or something, the homemaker who's basically, you know, there's piles and piles of laundry everywhere and the dishes are piling up and, you know, the kids are uh, playing with the silverware, trying to stab each other, you know, and she's laying on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> she's laying on the floor, hasn't bathed in a few days and just, you know, everything else. I'd say, well, yeah, that's probably a moral problem. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to view that as a medical problem. That's a moral problem That's uh, as far as that goes. And so what's classically described uh, like in a clinical sense as depression, yes, that's a moral problem that we're talking about. We're not talking mm-hmm. about a medical problem. We're talking about a moral issue, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I'm just not going to make, I I, I think I, I don't want to make assumptions about what we're even saying because the word is just, you know, Plato. It can mean anything at this mm-hmm. point. And yeah. so, but then part of the thing that happens is that you can just have Christians who maybe are hearing what I'm saying and come in a thoughtless kind of way and just, you know, um, come up to the person who is, you know, depressed or whatever and say, you know, stop it, you know, mm-hmm. and they may not know what they're dealing with in a, like it can be kind of a sloppy thing to say and they're, and everything else. And so you just want to know what, what are we talking about when we're using this kind of word in general and, and asking a few questions typically helps mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. To try and figure out what exactly, what exactly are the specifics sure. of this certain circumstance because it might be different from maybe another circumstance where someone also seemed to be dealing with um, similar emotions and feelings, but then the root causes of those two scenarios might be totally different. Is that what you mean? Yeah. You know, I mean, you could have a person who's just saying, um, you know, I, eh, Hey, you look a little down. What's going on? It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm depressed. I got a C on my test and I studied for it pretty, you know, mm-hmm. for a long time. And I'm just a little depressed about it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I don't know that I'm going to be the person who's just saying, well, you need to go repent of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that there's sadness that's part of life. There's discouragement there's part of life. There's disappointment that's part of life. But, you know, when this becomes an all-purpose excuse that an individual is going to use 
to forsake their responsibilities, then we're talking about something different than just general, you know, sadness, discouragement, despair that's common and normal to life. So that homemaker who basically is using this word depression as an excuse to, you know, forsake all of her responsibilities as a homemaker or, you know, the, the man who basically says like, I refuse to go to work anymore because everyone's mean to me and I'm so depressed. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, the Bible would say to those kind of people, you know, if a man doesn't provide for his own household, he's abandoned the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. Mm -hmm. And the same thing would be said to a woman who doesn't provide for her own household, the things that she's responsible to provide for her household. Uh, that the Bible commands her to. In both situations like that, you know, there are strong words given to that kind of person, and you can't just, you know, sh uh, sh uh, sh uh, slough off those hard words the Bible says by virtue of some appeal to, you know, depression or something like mm -hmm. that. It's like that's like you don't have a, you know, get out of jail free card with this psychological label just to ignore yeah. everything the Bible says, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it seems like thinking about this topic of you know depression and more specifically despair um or worry or maybe maybe anxiety in some way that's overwhelming it seems like you know i can think of a few different examples in scripture that seem to dis to describe similar uh, scenarios where people are feeling those types of emotions so i think of you know paul when he when he talks several different times about uh, his worry for different churches, uh, I think about, you know, Jesus right before he's uh, the night before he's going to be betrayed and ultimately murdered on the cross. You know, he's, he's so uh, I guess emotionally um, distraught or whatever that he's actually sweating blood while he's in the garden praying and, you know, an, another example might be Elijah in First Kings um, chapter nineteen, where it says that uh, essentially uh, Elijah wanted to die, right? And right. And so, so what are we supposed to do with these types of, of scenarios? And I know I gave you three that might all have their own specific uh, different explanations, but I think there is a legitimate question there that says. Hey, even even some of the you know quote unquote big big names in the Bible, you know the the people that we look to as examples, it seems like even they dealt with this in some way. So, are we to say that you know they were in sin for these things, or um, or you know, how are we supposed to view these types of things that we read in Scripture? Yeah, well, I don't think we want to say that sadness is intrinsically morally wrong mm -hmm. so jesus is described as a man of sorrows well acquainted right. with grief uh, and then paul says that there's godly sorrow and there's uh, worldly sorrow right um, and then you know we're taught that we don't grieve as those who have no hope we grieve as those who have hope and so implying that we do grieve in some way right right yeah so when lazarus dies jesus wept so one of the things that you don't want to do is in some simplistic kind of way say that all sadness is fundamentally inappropriate and part of what's happening in the depression discussion is because depression can be used to describe so many different things right mm -hmm. then if you 
if you say that depression is a moral problem, what people instantaneously hear, they, what they're hearing you to say is it's wrong to be sad. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. But then that's not what you're saying. So, so like, it, it, like, it just depends on what the word depression means. <laughs> okay. So mm-hmm. because it can mean anything and everything, then you have to deal with whatever is being communicated on a case by case basis. And so what are we talking about? Are we talking about sadness here? Are we talking about sorrow here? You know, there's plenty of like, I, I think one of the major failings of the church is that we're not as uh, sorrowful as we should be. Mm-hmm. And if we were to actually be more like Christ, we would be more sorrowful than what we would we otherwise are. But it wouldn't be a self pitying kind of sorrow that's fundamentally self centered, and you know, no one loves me, and no one treats <laughs> me very well, you know, and I can't ever do anything right, you know. <laughs> like that isn't the kind of sorrow that uh, we should have. But we should have a, a kind of sorrow that realizes that we're living in a fallen world. And that's fundamentally broken and messed up by sin. I mean, if you have loved ones who, you know, just are rejecting God and hate God, I mean, you can, a lot of people, their common response to that is just to get irritated with them and bothered by them. But what we should be doing is be concerned for them and sad for them and sorrowful for them and praying for them. If we, uh, So the, that would be a more godly response than just to be angry at them and frustrated with them and annoyed with them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think we have a, a sorrow deficiency in the church uh, in a lot of ways, but it's not that self-pitying kind of woe is me kind of sorrow that uh, becomes debilitating as far as that goes. And so, so when you're dealing with this kind of subject, you always have to ask, what are we saying? What are we saying? What kind of sorrow are we talking about mm-hmm. as far as that goes? And then you can have like good examples of sorrow and you can have bad examples of sorrow. Now, one of the things that you don't want to do when you read through the Bible is adopt some simplistic kind of calculus where you're reading the Bible and anything that, you know, like divide the Bible up into good guys and the bad guys, right? And whenever mm-hmm. the good guy does something, then it's good. And whenever the bad guy does something, it's bad. Because the problem right. is that's not really the way the Bible works. In fact, you know, if you read through the Old Testament, one of the things that you should come away with is the knowledge that all the good guys are kind of bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so I mean, Abraham, like he's a spineless coward who, you know, basically hands his wife off to the pagans. You know, hope Mm -hmm. hope for the best. You know, cross your fingers. (laughs) You know, kind of thing. Uh, As far as that goes, like the patriarchs were a bunch of scoundrels, man. You know, like the Mm -hmm. uh, Dinah was raped, and 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 um, you know the brothers hatch a plan to basically enter into a covenant with uh, Shechem and the rest of them, and. You know, they basically say, hey, we'll intermarry with you if you all get circumcised. And so they all get circumcised and then they go and kill them all, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like, not only do they do that, they 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 uh, are so jealous of Joseph that they throw him into a pit, you know, yeah. Yeah. And sell him. <laughs> <laughs> They're determining trying to kill him. And then they decided on selling him into slavery. You know, what a bunch of wonderful right. guys there, you know. So, I mean, you think through the narratives in that way. I mean, like the like, <laughs> I mean, you get to judges and you're at a you know, at the, at a dark point, you know, yeah, it's like, <laughs> like a free for all and uh, <laughs> cut up the prostitute in 12 pieces and send her out through, you know, the whole land of mm. Israel. And every, I mean, it's just um, like you, you look through the scriptures and, and like, I mean, Moses doesn't even enter into the promised land. You mm-hmm. know, David uh, commits adultery and um, murders Uriah, a uh, man after God's own heart, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and then like the whole rest of the law, like the whole rest of the kings say of David, like they say of David that there's been no 
king like David who <laughs> walked in the commandments of God. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, really? That's the best we've got? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's the best we got, you know? And so, I mean, but you think about it like that, like what you can't do is read these narratives and think to yourself in any simplistic way, like, like the good guys are the bad guys and the bad guys are like there's good guys who do everything right and the bad guys who do everything wrong. I mean, just look mm-hmm. at the story of Jonah, for instance. My goodness, you know, like Jonah was the good guy who does everything wrong in the passage and the bad guys, <laughs> the Ninevites do everything right, you know, and yeah. the, Mar- the Mariners, they do everything right, you know, like uh, they're more concerned about Jonah than he is the Ninevites, you know, because mm-hmm. like, so, I mean, it's just crazy. So I, I think you have to think through those kind of things. And so, you know, David, he was obviously depressed at different times because of his sin, you know, his body's wasting away. Uh, you know, after the death of Absalom, he refuses to get up, you know, he's curled in a ball and grieving over his son because he understood it had something to do with his own sin. So you, 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 say, you don't just look at that and say, well, that's a good depression, right? Mm-hmm. Even godly people can suffer from depression, you know, uh, the dark night of the soul, you know, like, it's just like, no, he's like, that's wrong. You know, like the mm-hmm. issue of Elijah, I mean, look at, like he, like he was just at a high point, you know, Elijah, like basically he, um, the Lord vindicated him. He destroyed all the prophets of Baal with the fire right. coming down from heaven, you know, and then after that, like he, um, you know, he hears word that Jezebel is trying to kill him and then he curls up in the ball and he doesn't want to go on anymore. You know, oh, Lord, you know, take my life. I want to die. And mm-hmm. so like he has the same response that Jonah has after the Ninevites are saved. And so you can't look at that and say, well, he's a good guy. And so that was a good response. That shows us that like, hey, man, like get up. You know, there's 10,000. I've reserved 10,000 men who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Time to move on, you know, mm-hmm. eat some food, get strengthened and let's go. I have more work for you to do. Uh, but then like, yes, I mean, so yes, that's common to life. You know, there's been plenty of pastor who's like just been discouraged and given into despair. But what you don't want to do is just sanctify it and act like as, as if it's all neutral and just wonderful. I mean, the Bible's a, a book that as you read, you're going to come away with thinking, we're awful and God's great, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't come away thinking like, like you know, if you read it, you know, and you actually read it, you're not going to come away with hero worship. You're going to realize all the heroes are villains. And then you wonder, how do they all get in the wall of faith in Hebrews, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, how is Lot, you know, in the wall of faith? <laughs> <laughs> he was going to offer his daughters up. I mean, my goodness. Like, so you don't read it that way. I mean, you, you have to read it the way it's intended, that God is gracious and that mm-hmm. uh, merciful and abounding in steadfast love. Uh, and that, you know, his mercies are new every morning. And if the Lord were with their account iniquity, none of us would get in, you know. So <laughs> mm-hmm. that's the point. And so and then with something like Jesus, I mean, Jesus, obviously, like he didn't have crippling DSM kind of depression. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I think a lot of people misunderstand what's actually happening there at the cross. I mean, Jesus wasn't just, oh, I don't want to get beaten and whipped and that all sounds painful. Right. Like, you know, what's happening there is that he's going to become the sin bearer mm-hmm. as far as that goes. And, and he knows that he's going he's moving towards a moment where. You know, at that point, he had done all things according to the will of his father who is in heaven. And then he was going to cry out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. That's what he was dreading. 
you know, as far as that goes. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And so what we don't want to conclude is that there's some sort of simplistic, you know, if you're godly, everything in life will be happy and easy and wonderful, and there will be nothing that will be sad, and there will be nothing that's discouraging. But then when you talk about depression in the clinical sense, like in the sense of this crippling despair or hopelessness that that is your excuse to not handle life, then there is no biblical example of that uh, being a positive thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So whatever uh, Jesus did, he didn't just lay there for you know two weeks and refuse to move, and uh, you know have, have Peter come along saying, "Jesus, you know you got to go to the cross." You know, <laughs> everyone's waiting on you, man. You know, kind of kind of holding everything up. <laughs> yeah, like and that's not what was happening. Yes, as far as that goes. Yeah, and, and I guess having if you have that kind of simplistic way of reading the Bible, then when you read something like Peter denying Jesus three times, your first inclination might be to either just assume that uh, it's morally right to somehow deny Jesus or just be really confused by the passage. Like, why is he sad right now? He, you know, he, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He's just, he must just be depressed or something. Yeah. I mean, you just have to, you have to look at these narratives. I mean, like you, you think about, like the disciples, I mean, almost at every point, their instincts are all wrong. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's going to be at the right hand? Of, who's going to be at your right hand? You they, they're arguing over who's going right. to be first and who's going to be greater. They won't even pray with Jesus during the, you yeah. know that time. Should we should we call down fire from <laughs> right? Right. I mean, it's just at every single point, you know. Like, I mean, even when they think they have a good impulse, like Peter, you know, like how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was expecting. Wow, that was really generous. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was wonderful, Peter. But I mean, that's not what came out, you know? So, right. I mean, like they're, they're, they, um, the Bible, uh, spares no, uh, ink, uh, trying to show us how, uh, flawed, uh, the heroes of the faith actually were yeah, mm-hmm. as far as that goes. So, okay. So talking about, um, these types of, of emotions and feelings and, um, you know, temptation to despair to be filled with anxiety and whatnot uh, we've i think we've established that this is a moral issue that we should bear responsibility for so i think that that begs the question when it comes to resisting these temptations um why exactly you know does it glorify god to treat uh depression as a moral issue that we should resist in terms of temptation and then, um, you know, I guess actively fight against and, you know, plead with our brothers and sisters to um, also repent of when they, when they fall into it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think that that question is fairly easy to conceptualize if you could just you know, imagine yourself being married to a man who is using depression as an excuse to lay around bed and miss work. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, like if you're a wife whose husband has, you know, been picked on at work and he's laying around and refuses to go back because he's not treated the way he wants to be treated. And maybe he's going through a midlife crisis and he just doesn't know how to get up and he's just laying down on the floor and 
he's been doing that for two weeks and you're going to lose your job and you don't mm-hmm. have a mortgage to pay. You have a mortgage to pay for. You have bills to pay for. You need groceries. I mean, what's the most loving thing to do to that person? Is it just to like sanctify that despair and that hopelessness and that refusal to handle life is is the most loving thing to do is just to give him that label and basically give him every excuse he needs to quit providing for you and the family? Or is it to encourage him to, you know, man up and go to work and get over himself, right? So I'm assuming like, it's the latter. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously. I mean, <laughs> I mean, but like the thing is, these labels, they're so hopeless. You know, if you view these labels as if there's some sort of medical diagnosis, then, I mean, it's just hopelessness and despair all, despair all the way down. I mean, there's nothing more hopeless than being told that you have depression. Like, that is the most hopeless and, you know, thing that you can possibly be told because because that takes away all re- personal responsibility from you. Mm-hmm. And basically, you're stuck. You know, and all you can do at that point is just take, you know, become a drug addict for the rest of your life. And basically, you know, be on tranquilizers that are numbing all of your emotions and numbing all of your feelings to where you can't feel anything as far as that goes. And it doesn't fix your fundamental problem. And so, I mean, like the thing is that these labels are, are, are um, there's nothing more uh, despair producing than these labels themselves. I mean, I that, that guy I was talking about that I canceled who is stuck in his house because he has all these labels. He has ADD. He has depression. He has all this stuff. Like he can't live a normal functioning life in his mind. He can't mm-hmm. live a normal functioning life. He can't. He's 28 years old, stuck in his parents' house. Right. He wants to get married and his parents are telling him who he can date and who he can't date and everything else. It's like you're stuck, man, because you, these labels are these things that are keeping standing in the way of, you know, that you living the kind of life that would glorify God and actually be a good kind of life to live. And, and when you like, the problem is that when you give into these labels, what happens like, like this, you say, Hey, I have depression. Like the problem is you just sit there and you lay around and you don't do anything. You're compounding your problem. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Because God's made us to work. Right. So like if you reject work, now you have a new problem. So like you're discouraged, no one treats you well, you're having a midlife crisis, you don't want to go to work and all that, you're laying on the ground, you're in despair and you're hopeless, you don't want to go back and and all that because you've never learned that sticks and stones will break your bones, but words can never hurt you and all that. You that's your the problem is that if you just give up, then you're going to have all the guilt and all the shame and all the condemnation that's going to come from the knowledge that God's created man for work. And you're just you've given up and, and then you're going to get the worthlessness and shame that comes not just from the the original issue, but from how you handle it. And it's mm-hmm. like this cycle that's just going to bring you down. Uh, and like and so but then the thing is, like, if we actually want to glorify God, like we don't have to accept these labels as if they're just uh, all purpose um, um uh, explanations that uh, prevent us from handling life. I mean, we, if you want to glorify God, like the, the, the only way, to, like the thing is like, and it sounds so mean because we're trained, you can't like shame the victim or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if that person were just to say, this is a moral problem and I can repent of this with God's help and, and his, through his grace and by the power of his spirit, you don't have to be chained to this for the rest of your life. Uh, and I, there's times in my life where I, you know, was, it had doctors telling me that I had depression, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't feel depressed anymore. You know, that isn't me. Right. That hasn't dominated my life. Uh, you know, that hasn't characterized my life. 
I, I learned at some point in my life that there are ways to handle life that glorify God and there are ways that, that don't glorify God. And, and so, you know, if you accept that basic premise, hey, I'm a sinner, but God can fix my sin, like that's that's the thing that's entirely hopeful. Jesus died on the cross to save you and to cleanse you and, and to make you filled with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. And if he began a good work in you, he can complete that good work. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be mastered by these things. Like you don't have to have these hopeless labels put on you and this define your life. You can be defined uh, in, as uh, having your identity in Christ and being the kind of person who uh, God will clean up to the uttermost as far as that goes. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that kind of reminds me of a time uh, back when my wife was pregnant with um, with our first child. And and I, she was it was a really hard pregnancy for her. And so she had to do a lot of bed rest, which meant normally, you know, if we were ever to uh, if there was ever a group of friends who are going who are going to go out or, or get lunch or dinner together or something. I normally ended up just going, you know, by myself without my wife because she needed to rest. And I remember there was one day after church where we were all getting lunch together. And this was at a, this was at a time where, uh, a lot of other people in our church, they were having these different sort of, um, life stage changes, whether that was, they were, um, they were getting married, uh, or they were, you know, moving into a, a new house together or whatever it was. And so they were discussing all of these different plans that they were making and, and, uh, just how excited they were. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself about how sad that made me because I, I felt in that moment, I felt very alone. You know, I felt a lot of, um, sorrow for my wife and how she was feeling. And then I looked at everyone else and how happy they were. And, you know, I just, i I think I felt a lot of like, why, does everyone else get to be happy right now? And I don't get to be, you know, um, I don't get to be happy like they are. And after sitting there for a few minutes, I began to think to myself, what in the world am I doing? You know, like I'm being so ungrateful right now and, and letting myself, you know, basically mope and complain because God is blessing all of our other church members. I should be I should actually be thankful for everything that God is doing in their lives right now. Right now he's he's um he's you know putting people together, marry, you know, they're getting married. Uh he's blessing them with new homes and I'm over here complaining that he's doing all of these things to, for my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Like this is ridiculous, you know, and I had a I had a moment where um Maybe, maybe in years past, when I wasn't a Christian, I would have thought I was justified in my, uh, in my, you know, selfishness and self-centeredness. Uh, but you know, after thinking through all that, I realized, hey, you know, actually, what I probably need to do is I just need to repent of my ungratefulness, and instead of moping around, maybe just like thank God for everything that He's doing. Instead, that seems like a much more honoring thing you know, uh, to do in this moment. Um, so, so what you're saying makes a lot of sense in terms of having that kind of mentality that this is a sort of, you know, something that is totally outside of our control. 
and it takes away all responsibility from you. Essentially what that's doing is it's inhibiting you from being able to actually do the thing you were created to do, which is worship and glorify God. Does that make well, sense? Yeah. And that's, I think that's what's so frustrating about this kind of com- conversation because it's so ingrained in people's minds that depression, like any, 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 like it's all off limits. And so everyone just basically anytime that word is used, it is the all purpose excuse mm-hmm. for everything. And it basically, you, you just, you, you have to, take a step back and just validate it. And that's what you're told to do. You have to validate this person and basically just give this person whatever they want at that mm-hmm. point. And it doesn't matter how, I mean, you know, this is like, there's no distinctions that are being made at all for the variety of situations that we, we could even be talking about. Right. And so mm-hmm. every person who describes himself as having depression, you are treating like the person who just that day got the phone call that their wife died, right? <laughs> right, right. And like the rules for for across the board for every person who uses that word are the same as that kind of scenario. But then the reality is that there's a lot of different types of scenarios where that word is being used that are not at all like that. And then like, you know, if like people are so scandalized by the thought of just saying, hey, you have to turn from this. But that's the only hope they have, you know, if you don't let if if they don't turn from it, they, you've taken away all their hope, man. Like right. they're stuck. They're stuck. And 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 I mean, it, it was amazing. Just, you know, my church member going to the doctor today and just thinking through that. I mean, like if if he didn't have the kind of awareness to interact with the doctor on that level, that could have fundamentally like that one doctor visit. Being t- like with a person who basically is just trained that whatever the doctor says is right, you have to listen to the doctor. Mm-hmm. That could have fundamentally defined the rest of his life and the rest of his marriage. Just that one thing, you know. Right. Being told, like, uh, as far as that goes, uh, but then you know we have in like, w- like him not th- being prepared to not interact with the doc, like to interact with the doctor in a knowledgeable way and have questions to ask. What that does is it, it, you know, it kept him from ruining his life, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as that goes, by accepting some sort of hopeless label that's going to turn him into some kind of catatonic vegetable for the rest of his life. Right. Now, in light of that, what exactly should we do in order to help people, um, you know, who are dealing with overwhelming despair or anxiety? What, you know... Obviously, there's a hope for them. How exactly should people um, uh, counsel their brothers and sisters uh, in order to take advantage of that hope that God's given us? Yeah, well, I think because this word is used um, so broadly, then there is no simple kind of explanation for how to deal with it. But let me just talk about different scenarios, okay? Okay. So, I mean, like the person who just lost a loved one and who's describing themselves in a sloppy way as having de- depression or whatever. I mean, yeah, I think you give them a lot of space for the first, you know, little bit. And, like, yeah, you re- you rejoice with those who rejoice. You weep with those who weep. You show up, you know, give them a hug and mm-hmm. just sit with them. And, you know, that's, that's fine, you know. Say, I'm praying for you. Get them a meal. You know, d- don't. You just try to help them whatever way you can, and I don't think you're expecting a lot of conversation as far as that goes. And so, mm-hmm. like you know, the person who has the test <laughs> that uh, 
like, ah, I'm a little bummed. I got to see on the test, you know? It's like, oh, man. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, man. You know, I don't know. That, I don't know that <laughs> like every single scenario like that, you just have to go in there and say, oh, you're sad. Well, you must not be a Christian, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa, that, that escalated quick. <laughs> Turn that frowned upside down, you know, <laughs> like, uh, um, uh, as far as that goes. And so the Christian life does have sad moments in it. Like, you know, so I, I don't think we want to be the, you know, the despair police or something like that, where we're just instantaneously in a knee-jerk way, have no category for sorrow in the Christian life uh, as far as that goes. And, and and I think we can do that. And part of that's because we've been trained by some prosperity impulses that, you know, everything's just uh, uh, sunny. And I mean, I think that there are, there are difficult situations as far as that goes. And you, 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 like, um, there are plenty of situations that can be discouraging, but that, but that doesn't give like an all purpose, like uh, blank check that to, to say that any and all discouragement or sadness or sorrow is morally fine because it's not, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of sadness is just purely self-centered, self-pitying kind of sadness that we need to like rebuke, you know, too. So, right. so I want to know what we're talking about here as far as that goes. And so let's distinguish, um, you know, grieving as a different category. We're not talking about grieving. We're talking about solutions to depression or helping people with depression. We're not talking about trivial things like, you know, I'm bummed because, you know, the nacho fries. (laughs) 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 We're not using trivial things like that or I'm bummed because I got a bad grade on the test, you know. You know, I I just factor in all that. let's, Let's talk about the crippling, extended, two week long despair that has either transitioned into like um, like a total surrender of all responsibilities or is like a lot of the responsibilities are starting to be shuffed uh, or sloughed off. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's talk about like the, what you might describe as clinical depression in particular. We were not talking about those other things. If people think we're talking about those, that's listening comprehension. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about like a person who for, you know, at least two weeks is, you know, uh, experiencing crippling, hopeless despair that that they're using as an excuse to not take care of life. Okay, right. All right. Now, I think that that could happen for a variety of reasons. So, and I don't want to present um, some sort of like what you need to do is you need to, if you're going to help that person, you need to ask questions and try to figure out what you're looking at. But I think there's th- there's at least you know, three kind of things that could be going on there. Uh, what one, one is just guilt. Okay. So like, you know, the homemaker who, you know, has finished Netflix, (laughs) 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 but doesn't know how to meal plan that kind of thing. Uh, who basically the dishes are all full of, uh, uh, the, the, the sinks are all full of dishes. There's, you know, unfolded piles of clothing laying all over the house Right. The kids are basically uh, being um, uh, uh, babysit all day long by uh, TV. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the woman who's, you know, spending all day long shopping on her phone, sneaking purchases she doesn't tell her husband about or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, addicted to Facebook or something. Right. Let's just mm-hmm. go there. Like that kind of thing. Well, what's you know, you ask, you say you, you um you, you know, you come home, you say, honey, what's going on? You know, it's just like, I'm just so depressed, you know. It's just like, yeah, well, you know. Um, 
the house looks the same as it did yesterday and the day before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> all, right. all right. So depression in that case is kind of the excuse that's being used to not handle life, right? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, what, what, like, um, if you ask her, you know, why are you depressed? She might not know why she's depressed. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like she doesn't know the root cause of it. She doesn't know. I mean, you know, and she might think, well, it's a medical problem. You know, it's a medical, like, there's something happening to me, a chemical imbalance and everything else. But then I think looking on the outside, looking at that kind of situation, looking at it objectively, thinking through it the way the Bible would want you to think about it. What's happening there? You know, what what is it? Like, you know, I, I'm not going to. I would say, hey, go to the doctor and, you know, have them run some medical tests and see if there's anything wrong. Maybe you have a thyroid problem, maybe whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to try to rule out physical causes. So go uh, go run some medical tests. Don't, don't let them run any questions about your thoughts or behavior and give you any drugs. Run some medical tests. Do I have a thyroid problem? Is there anything medical? Like, am I anemic, you know? Like, do I have an iron deficiency? Do, like, what's like? Is there anything like that that's happening? I would say, yeah, rule out that like the lack of energy is not that. But then I would say, you know, just run a basic inventory of their life. I mean, like, are you staying up till four in the morning every night and getting up at seven with the kids? You know, like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, is this like a despair that's come from just being exhausted because you, you know, you're acting like a child staying up all night doing things like what what uh, you know but you rule out all that like what's left i mean like if i'm looking at it i'm just saying well this is probably just the fact that you've rejected your job as a homemaker and a mother in a pretty Mm -hmm. fundamental way and what do you think you're going to feel right (laughs) like what do you think like you think that like if you just take off doing your job that you should feel uh like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and all that? Do you think that you should just have the joy of the Lord when you basically are just uh, taking up space and and not doing anything that God's called you to do because you don't have mm-hmm. any accountability in your life? You know, I mean, imagine if a guy did that. You know, if a guy just said, hey, I'm going to, you know, not go to work like, and, and not going to do anything, what do you think he would feel? He would probably feel guilt and shame and condemnation. And we would look at that and we would say, yeah, you don't, you're not suffering from depression. You're just worthless, Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're a worthless man or you're a worthless woman and you need to repent. Like that's what you need to do. And you're going to feel terrible because you're you're pursuing worthless things and you're not doing the things you're called to do. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of like like. So, yes, in that kind of situation, I'd say go run the medical test. Nothing comes back. You know, ask basic questions about their sleeping habits and their eating habits and their whatever, you know, and like. And it might be that a lot of that is going to be a result of just categorical unfaithfulness across the board. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's one scenario that I think everyone can imagine. Just you're being so unfaithful to the point to where, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there, there's times in my life when I was a young person where I just spent all day long on entertainment, all day long on entertainment. And there's something that's fun about that, but then you feel worthless at the end yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> You definitely do. You do. I mean, you do. I can and, relate. <laughs> yeah, you you do. And and like and, and like you know. And that's not depression. That's like you've rejected your reason for existence. See, I didn't put you on the earth just to be entertainment junkie. And mm-hmm. so yeah, there's some fun to that. But at the end, it leaves you, you know, guilty. And so like that would be a category of depression that would you would say, hey, what's causing that? Well, that's a failure to perform the responsibilities God's called you to. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. 
Now, but there would also be a kind of depression that would be related to just secret sin that you're holding on to, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're constantly feeling guilt and shame and condemnation, but you just imagine the guy who's just has the porn addiction that no one knows about that's weighing on him, right? Right. Or that porn addiction that he has that no one knows about that he's not telling anyone about, that kind of thing is going to weigh on his conscience and, like, he's going to feel it, un, you know, uh, um, he's not going to feel at ease. He's going to be always looking over his shoulder. He's going to be destabilized in a pretty fundamental way. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the one before is kind of like a kind of depression that's resulted from not positively pursuing the things God calls you to do. But then this would be the kind of depression that would come from pursuing vices. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so then like there's this guilt and this shame and this condemnation that you're going to experience that is connected to things that you're actually doing in your life. Right. And so, I mean that, that kind of person you're going to talk to him, you're going to say, Hey, do you have like, any unconfessed sin in your life and then see how they respond. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're depressed all the time, but you know, like, uh, well, tell me about your routine, you know, what's going on in your life. What do you do? That, that would get to the first kind of scenario. Right. Mm-hmm. And then like this one, do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? That would get to that kind of scenario. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. But then there's, there's like maybe a third, it, it, uh, and there's a lot, there's a lot more that you could say about this. But I'm just going to give three common ones, okay? Yeah, this isn't like an exhaustive list. Yeah, or no, anything. no. But like, just imagine a third scenario. Uh, a third scenario would be just the kind of person who is, um, you know, uh, basically they have unmet desires in their life. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so they have a despair or hopelessness that's come from like. Uh, well, I'm going to do four. But, uh, like they <laughs> have despair or hopelessness is coming from some sort of unmet desires. I mean, to that kind of person, I would say, you know, what do you want that you're not getting? You know, mm-hmm. what are you what are you seeking? What are you pursuing? What are you uh, what do you hope for? You know, and mm-hmm. it might be that kind of person. They're like, you know, I'm stuck in a hard marriage, you know, and I know what the Bible says that marriage is a lifelong commitment and. You know, my husband, he's just selfish and doesn't love me and doesn't care about me and doesn't cherish mm-hmm. me. And he's all in it for himself, you know, and like uh, and I'm just looking at my life and I'm getting older. And, you know, one of the things I realize is that this is not what I wanted for my life. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't want this for my life. I wanted a happy marriage. I didn't want a marriage filled with conflict and filled with right. frustration and and fights. I, I wanted someone who would love me and sacrifice for me and not just be, you know, um, uh, this person who's in it for themselves and just doesn't care and doesn't listen to anything I say and everything else. And so that would be the kind of like a, a kind of depression that would come from just frustrated idols, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. would be kind of like the Rachel, give me children lest I die kind of right, depression. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So that isn't related to like either a moral failing in terms of your actions or a moral uh like, like a, a sin of omission or a sin of commission, that would be, uh, you know, fundamentally you're unhappy with uh, God's providence in a very fundamental way because you have certain desires that aren't being met. Uh, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, but you can imagine in either in any of those kind of scenarios, there are different answers that you would give, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can imagine that if you give like. Right, to the one who's committing the sins of omission, you give them the, um, 
the kind of counsel that you would give to the one with the unmet desires, how it wouldn't fit, right? Right. Yeah. That'd be like, pretty strange advice. Right, 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 right. And so, well, stop sinning and you'll be okay. And it's like, well, I don't know that there's no unconfessed sin in my life, you know, mm-hmm. like, well, I don't, I don't, that I know of, you know, but, but so what needs to happen there is that there are idols there that need to be dealt with, right? So that one has idols in their heart that are being frustrated and they have to like learn to live to the glory of God. You know, and, and I guess the last kind of category, and there's a lot of these that I could say would be just, I think depression is the human condition, you know, um, the Bible what do you says, mean? well, I mean, it's just, uh, unbelievers are held captive by the fear of death. Like, uh, we have moral problems. Like we, we all feel guilt and shame and condemnation mm-hmm. because when you compare your own actions to those of God's standard, God's standard is perfection, you know? Right. And like, if the Lord would count iniquity, none of us could stand. And like, there is a kind of guilt and shame and condemnation that uh, just is there, like irrespective of like the patterns of everything else, but just by virtue of comparing yourself to a holy God who has a holy standard and just realizing that like, you know what, nothing in this earth is going to satisfy and I have a problem, you know, I have this, I have these guilt and the shame and like there's plenty of celebrities who, you know, they get everything the world has to offer and like it all leaves them bankrupt and empty and they don't even know what they're doing. And they have all this guilt and shame from all their actions they don't know how to get rid of, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I counseled a guy one time, and he was, you know, thinking about going into the military. But he, he described himself as a, you know, a dirty, like, thinking about, like, uh, you know, what are your thoughts about God kind of question. And it's like, I, you know, I'm like a dirty puppy in a white room, you know? That's how, <laughs> like, like, that's how he uh, described himself, thinking about, like, uh, inter- you know, praying to God, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty powerful image, but there's a lot of people like that. And to where, like, if you say, hey, will you have that label? Like, well, you just took away any hope they have of repenting and turning right. to Jesus and right. getting forgiveness and fixing the the guilt, the shame, and the burden they have. And so thank you for, you know, destroying their soul. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what you've done. In a certain, in a certain sense helping them along the path to hell. <laughs> right. I mean, that's what's the problem with these stupid labels are, is that these labels we're putting on people are basically uh, removing any hope of repentance and and, mm-hmm. and and removing any hope that people can actually be saved and have their fundamental problems fixed. Yeah. I, I mean, like you're just shackling people to their sin. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, Paul talks about, you know, who will deliver me from this body of death. And that imagery is... Um, like the imagery of uh, it, it was like a you imagine a prisoner who's like what what they did was they you know chained prisoners to a dead body essentially mm-hmm. and so they're chained to this dead body and the dead body is like spreading disease and infection to the uh, to the live uh, prisoner essentially and it's a form of execution if that makes mm-hmm. sense but that's what we're doing with these labels we're chaining people to a body of death essentially yeah. And, and that's what's so disturbing about it. And so this is like the, the point of, you know, the point is like when you say, hey, you know, do you think you don't think depression's real, do you? It's like, well, no, I don't. I don't not like you mean. Right. I don't right. believe that. I don't believe that, that person who's laying there on, on the floor for two weeks because they don't know how to handle life. I don't believe that that's a medical problem. I believe mm-hmm. that that's a moral problem. But if right. I believe it's a moral problem, there's hope for them. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, um, but you've taken away their hope, you know. And, and I think the church, in, by and large, has taken away their hope and made great allowances for that because they don't—they're asking the wrong questions. They're looking at like there's different kind of situations that you find yourself in, right? And they're given like 
um, the hope in the Lord counsel to the person who has the unconfessed sin, right? And then mm-hmm. they throw up the, their hands up in the air and say, oh, well, it must be medical. It's like, no, you just didn't ask enough questions, man. <laughs> like, right. You don't even know what you're looking at, you know? Right. So figure out what you're looking at and you'll figure out what to say, you know? Like, uh, but then like you're, you're counseling, you're giving the wrong counsel to the wrong person and then concluding, well, it must be organic. And it's just like, well, you're just a bad counselor. I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think ultimately this episode is not meant to be a, a sort of, Hey, just, just stop sinning and then you'll be good. Right. It, it's meant to be, it's really meant to say, Hey, look, here's a problem that it seems like no one is dealing with correctly. The world has uh, one answer to it, but then the reality is that answer is going to fail and it's not going to work and it will never work. Uh, and not only will it never work, it's actually going to keep you from um, fixing the problem as long as you subscribe to it. When the reality is what really what we're trying to say is there actually is uh, hope when it comes to despair. You actually can be delivered from these things. If, even if you don't think you can be, you can through the grace of God. But it's only through the grace of God. That's the only hope we have. And that requires acknowledging that we're in the wrong, that we've sinned in some way, and we need forgiveness. And if we're unwilling to do that, then we won't ever be delivered. So the the main message of an episode like this is to say, hey, look, you have hope. If you'll just realize that this is sin that needs to be dealt with, that needs forgiveness, and if you'll humble yourself, like the Bible says over and over and over again, if you'll humble, humble yourself, then God will deliver you from these things. And there's freedom in Christ and um, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And those are true promises that you can take hold of. And so we want to encourage um, those who are listening, who might be dealing with a lot of these issues. We want to encourage you to really start thinking through some of the things we're saying. And, and even if you think they're totally ridiculous, Maybe just humor us, you know, and <laughs> and um, and and just try and think this way, you know. And well, and, the thing thing about that too, Harrison, is just that you know we've uh, we have a lot of we have thousands of years of church history, uh, and like this is a this is a unique problem that we're dealing with in a unique mm-hmm. way right now. And so you know, this is like a recent phenomenon for the past, you know, 70 years or something. You have yeah. this pseudoscientific mechanism that basically just allows people to curl up in a ball and never see the light of day again. Right. But then the problem is throughout church history, you know, we always believe that the Bible is sufficient. We always believe the Bible has answers to these things. Mm-hmm. And like this is like no one, you know, th- there's... Like throughout the history of the world, that like this is a novel way of uh, dealing with a very common problem, <laughs> like very yeah. very common problems. Like the you know, uh, like um, we're we're living in a society right now who like we think oh we're so advanced, but in some ways we're so primitive, <laughs> yeah. in the way that we're thinking about these problems. I mean, and, and then like like the the reality is like the more that we treat these problems in a way that is totally ahistorical <laughs> right mm-hmm. like no one ever dealt with it like like just uh just a blank check to give in to you know despair or melancholy or despondency or whatever we've never done that like mm-hmm. just some kind of absolute blank check we we 
we had answers to these things. We've chucked all the answers. But then the problem is that the more that we give people this blank check, th- like it's just the the cases of you know depression, quote unquote, skyrocket, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like the thing is that like you you don't have to be intimidated by you know the particular delusion that we're living in right now. Yeah, you know, if you want to have some sort of historical awareness, you'll realize that the Bible's always had answers to these. We have a sufficient right. word. You know, God is not taken by surprise about depression. He has something to say about it. And you just trust him, trust his word, read what it has to say. You know, he's going to uh, he's going to give us wisdom that's much better than our adversaries as far as that right. goes. Right. Yeah. And so uh, in closing, we just want to encourage everyone who's listening to this episode. You know, if you're... Um, the person who feels like you really struggle with these things. Uh, we want to ask you, you know, number one, uh, if, if you are attending a local church, reach out to your pastor and ask them, uh, to give you counsel. And two, you know, if you, if you want to reach out to us too, then that's totally fine. You can email us, um, at Bible podcast at gmail.com. Um, or if you're the, you know, if you're the person who, who says, Hey, you know what, I'm not dealing with this, but then, there's someone close to me who I, you know, care a lot about who is dealing with, with this, uh, you know, it's, we want to encourage you counsel that person, you know, reach out to them and, and, uh, you know, confront them in, in whatever way is necessary because the Bible tells us if, if you love your brother, then, then, um, you know, you're going to hold them accountable. And, and that's something that we should be doing for one another. So we want to encourage you in those ways. Uh, and we also want to, you know, thank everyone for listening um, to this episode. And, and we hope that it's really blessed you and that you, you are able to be encouraged by it, know that there is hope uh, in Christ and that when we confront these sins in our lives, then, um, you know, God, we know that God is sanctifying us and enabling us to be able to uh, glorify him more. So, Hopefully that's an encouragement to you guys. We want to thank you again for listening and we'll see you guys on the next one. This has been another episode of Bible Bashed. We hope you've been encouraged and blessed through our discussion. We thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible Bashed and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at Bible Bashed podcast at gmail.com. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move.